0: Live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios,
1: this yes. is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to Meet in the Middle Chronicles. I'm Sam Collins. And I'm Norman Papoose. Today we bring you something different. Norman and I often talk about how this show is for the benefit of our kids. Today we devote the entire show to an interview with Mike Matranga. Mike is a former Secret Service agent and
0: the current head of security for the Texas City Independent School District, which is just down the road from the Santa Fe High School, which experienced that horrid uh, mass shooting a while back. Uh, Texas City School District hired Mike after the the shooting at Santa Fe, and for many of our listeners, that day is one
1: uh, we will never forget. Over the next two minutes, you will hear police radio calls that went out on that fateful day. It may be hard for some of our listeners to hear if you are someone who lost a loved one on that day, please forward this podcast for the next two minutes.
2: Santa Fe PD's requesting mutual aid. All they're having a shooting at the high school. Have an officer down, shooter, not in custody. Santa Fe ISD, had
1: shot fired. Call disconnected. City Dickinson, the medic one needs you to stay for a shooting at Santa Fe school, 1600 highway six. I need you to stage for Santa Fe,
2: shooting at the school. What else? How fire? More shots fired. Additional shots fired. We have several shots fired. Possibly one or two rooms in this area that we're at. Where are you? Upstairs, downstairs. there. Where's the front? North side, First floor, north side. Center part of the building. Still have several more shots fired.
1: Thanks, Amy. To be for Santa Fe High School, I need you to stage. School shooting. I have an
2: active shooter, several people down. We also need the flight for an officer down. Careful, we got him. Come get this, come get this victim, you're clear.
0: Come get this victim. So, hundred six we're coming out the
1: front doors. Uh-huh. West Center, ETA. to the northwest corner of the complex.
0: We need to get coverage on the outside. We believe he's barricaded inside. We need to watch. He's actually shooting. He's in the art room.
2: We have got... We got shots fired right now, guys. We need to offer you. Does anybody know if still kids inside? Are they all evacuated? Kids in the dance hall, I'm talking to them now. Terror. Texas City 81 15, yes. Uh, the subject is in custody. At least one, one subject is in custody. And the time, he's advising he gets what I
0: need to do, throw him in a room. We we might have live cyclone. All units, all units there's possibly bomb pressure cooker bomb somewhere in this area okay for for a lot of people I'm sure that listen to that that that, that it's very difficult to hear. Uh, I know it's difficult for me to hear and I, I, it took me several times to, uh, to you know to get the point where I could actually download it for our use. Um, but this is not going to be a discussion on gun control. It's not going to be the national debate that you know, erupted after Parkland and Santa Fe, and it seems to erupt after every mass shooting. Uh, what we want to focus on is an actual response uh, by a trained professional to the gun violence. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. I, th- I think we should start off with your background because it's
2: quite impressive. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here today to speak with you guys. Um, my name is Mike Matranga. I am a uh, 1995 graduate of Lamarck High School, uh, which is now in Texas City ISD. Uh, after graduating high school from Lamarck, I went on to uh, receive my bachelor's in science and criminal justice from Sam Houston State University, where I then uh, left my collegiate career and <clears throat> uh, went to work for the Galveston County Adult Probation Department, and we'll get into uh, that here in just a little while about how I believe that that's helped me to understand human behavior. But after my time with the Galveston County uh, Adult Probation Department, I went on to work in Houston at the Houston Field Office of the Secret Service as a field agent and in 2004. In 2007 i was selected to be on president obama's campaign nominee operations section which is basically his campaign detail from 2007 to 2008 uh, after uh, president obama was elected in 2008 we traveled the globe with him returned back to houston where i uh, worked my way through different divisions in the secret service and counterfeiting and fraud task force protective intelligence squad or division uh, conducting investigations on protective intelligence cases. 2011, I went on to the uh, presidential counter team in Washington, D.C., and was assigned to President Obama on Team 5 and Team 6. After several years there uh, working on Team 5 and Team 6, I became an assistant team leader on Team 5. And then after my time with uh, the president's uh, presidential counter assault team, went on to the presidential protective division, an elite group of men and women who served to protect the president, the vice president, any foreign heads of state, and their families. And then in 2016, I left the Secret Service after a long, uh, very successful career, uh, working with what I believe are the nation's best law enforcement officers and agents in the world, actually. Um, But uh, went over to the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Land Management where I investigated all crimes to include uh, uh, militia activity, domestic terrorism, working with the Las Vegas Fusion Center, had a little bit of involvement with the Route 91 Harvest uh, mass shooting at Mandalay Bay, where I uh, helped in the search and rescue uh, mission there, and uh, oversaw the infamous Bundy trial, uh, I was the head of security uh, with, along with another former Secret Service agent, who oversaw the head of security over or oh, the security over the uh, the Bundy trial. Okay,
0: now you were on the border. Texas-Mexico border when the Santa Fe school shooting occurred, and that's where you heard about it. You want to tell us about that day and quickly lead us up to uh, your first involvement when uh, Texas City uh,
2: School District? Sure. So, uh, you know, I definitely believe that, you know, I'm a man of faith, and I believe that uh, God's got his hands in pretty much everything that we do. I definitely couldn't have gotten or achieved the things that I've done without the, his support and, um, and guidance. But you know, we were. I was uh, working a detail along. The, it was actually the Arizona uh, border, Arizona-Mexico border, with the Department of Interior. We were uh, monitoring illegal activity coming across the the, uh, the Texas or the uh, Arizona U.S. Mexican border, and uh, we were stopping any uh, illegal activity, whether it be drugs or smuggling or uh, human trafficking, and whatnot. And um, I recall. Sitting in my vehicle as we were conducting an operation, and the news broke about Santa Fe, and uh, quite frankly, I was I was shocked. Uh, not that I don't think that a situation like this can't happen anywhere. Um, I was just uh, heartbroken to hear that it happened in my home county with people that you know I care about. I've got friends, I've got relatives that their kids go to Santa Fe, so immediately my heart was with. Galveston County and uh, I felt helpless. You know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm a servant at heart and with my experience and background, I felt like I needed to be here and I couldn't. So, you know, I sat there and listened to the news reports and, uh, basically was <laughs> not very effective at my current job, what I was supposed to be doing because my heart was here. And I decided that, you know, I'm just gonna follow this, monitor this. And, it, and quite frankly, I was, I was enraged with anger because I felt like we could be doing things a lot different, uh, more effective. Um, and I feel like, um, you know, we've been doing things completely wrong for the last 30 years in regards to security. But, you know, I, that, that happened on a Friday, it was May 18th, and um, when I talk about my faith, I was headed back home from Arizona to Las Vegas cause that's where we were living. And I re- recall having a long conversation with my wife uh, on the way back uh, during that six and a half hour drive. And, and I had told her, I said, you know, I've got five and a half years left to reach my retirement uh, age. And um, you know, that I just felt like I had a lot to offer. And I, I felt like I had a, a different approach and so that whatever God called me to do, uh, if he called me to come back home and, and to do something, if I had an opportunity, I was gonna take it. If that meant me leaving my retirement behind and my putting down the badge and gun and, and just being a servant. And uh, that was on a Sunday, which would have been the 20th. And 7 a.m. on Monday, I was pouring my first cup of coffee and I received a text message from our public information officer, uh, Melissa Tortorici, that said that Dr. Kavnis wanted to speak with me. And, and that is that's our superintendent, Texas okay. City ISD superintendent. And so he had talked, he had sent me a message after Parkland, but I'd never received a phone call from him, so I just kind of brushed it off. And I'd I'd kind of expected that I would get some phone calls. And uh, so she texted me and said, "Hey, you know, can Dr. Cadmus call you?" Sure, no problem. Well, within twenty seconds, I received a phone call, and um, you know, his first statement to me told me that this guy was serious. And I was, quite frankly, I was shocked because I hadn't heard many superintendents or educators uh, have his type of personality. And the first thing that he said to me was, hey, you know, Mike, this is Dr. Kavnis, uh, superintendent of Texas City ISD. Yes, sir. Um, I think I have this figured out. And I said, w- what are you referencing, sir? Um, the shooting in Santa Fe. I've been over in Santa Fe the last three days. Um I think that I've got it figured out. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, uh, I think that guys like me should not be making decisions that guys like you should be making. And I think that that's where we're making mistakes. That's why we're continuing to see these things happen is because we have specialists in every aspect of our job, but we think that we can do what guys like you should be doing. And so within 20 minutes we had You know, he had offered me a job, and we had worked it out, and I don't even think he had talked to the board at that point. But uh, he was serious, and um, I trusted in his his, uh, gut. And like I said, I was shocked that he was able to let down his guard and understand that there are people that should be making decisions outside of educators when it comes to security. Okay.
1: Well, well, let me get in – You know, you came in and uh, what you've done in Texas City has been um, uh, highly regarded and uh, used like a model in other places. Uh, Or, you know, there have been several articles written about what you've done in Texas City. Uh, My concern, uh, just as an individual, is, how do we duplicate that when everybody doesn't have the resources that a Texas city has? And then, as we get into the interview, I have some other concerns, but every, every uh, a small district like Hitchcock or right. a small district uh, um, in another, another town is not gonna be able to put millions of dollars into the type of security that right. you uh, put in I, place.
0: I got a question I'd like to ask before we get there. Because he mentioned that, and I think, you know, the doctor's absolutely correct, you know, people in his position Mm -hmm. should not be making decisions like this, allow the experts to do it, like like Mike. But what is it about the Secret Service and your, and, you know, I I, I guess there's a couple others like this. You have the State Department Security. They protect individuals. Are are they the only two uh, federal law enforcement agencies that really do that? Um, uh,
2: primarily it's the uh, diplomatic state uh, yeah. or diplomatic uh, or State Department essentially uh, right. DSS and secret Service now there's some there are other agencies that have a, a, a protective component for example like the the FBI they mm-hmm. have a protective impo- uh, component for their director. Right. Um, Department of Defense. I mean, there are components, but not as their primary function. Right. right.
0: Awesome. So, what is what is it about the training of a Secret Service uh, person, a Secret Service agent? Because you're law enforcement at the end of the day, yes. but your training is protection. So, where does where do where ha, where is that uh, training? Um, separate from your normal law enforcement training? And the reason I ask is because if you go to all the school districts in the country, they are law enforcement led. But they are not protective-led, protective led right. protective Right, and I led.
2: think that's what separates us from others. And, you know, I love, I love our brothers and sisters in blue. And, um, you know, I've said since day one that this is a puzzle. We've got to continue to put the pieces to the puzzle together. And I, when I talk about 30 or 40 years of doing this wrong, if you look at, uh, you know, over the last 30 or 40 years, why were police put into schools in, let's say, the 80s? Let's start with the 80s. What, what was their initial... Uh, function. What what did we have going on nationwide, which would have had us put? We're not the drugs out of school, right? It was. Remember the drug campaign of, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, yeah. dare program and mm-hmm. whatnot. It was mostly focused on drugs. And then when we got into the '90s, you started seeing gang violence, and then the police were there to help thwart gang violence. Well, now we have a completely different issue that, in my opinion, um, we need police for, but police are not security professionals. Police are mainly responsive in their actions, and we need them. We need them to be a part of our plan. But when you ask what's the difference between, let's say, policing or Secret Service or protective missions, I would say that the difference is that we take a proactive approach, and I think that's the key word that we need to focus on today: is proactiveness rather than responsiveness. Um, when you take a Secret Service agent and you have him look at a site, okay, we take that thirty thousand foot approach. We look from we look at every angle. What are our vulnerabilities? What are our avenues of approach? Where are our ingress egress points? We're not we're not really focused on enforcing the law. We're focused on protecting the building and its occupants. you know. And in my past employment, it was the president. So I think that that's what separates us. We have to have a comprehensive plan and it can't be a single plan that, that benefits or, or serves the entire district. Each campus has a very unique maybe building style or, or different components or, or materials that they've used uh, some could be ballistic, others may not be ballistic. We may need to put things in place to uh, reinforce certain uh, materials. Um, so that's the difference I think that you get when you when you compare security done by a professional versus someone who is there that's just supposed to be a security presence okay when you think about a police officer doing security what do you think of okay police officers in the school he's the eyes and the ears uh, he or she is the eyes and the ears they're supposed to the mitigate a threat as it comes in my job is to make sure that the threat never gets in that's the difference and so very proactive comprehensive holistic approach can you give us an example of something
0: when you first went up to You know, Texas City ISD, and you looked at the high school. What was the first thing
2: that you hit and said, you know, this is the first thing we're going to do? First thing that I noticed, or first thing that we did was we actually hired more police officers because um, I feel like there are certain things that um, industry was trying to push on schools, such as magnetometers, and I'm not an advocate of magnetometers inside a school. I think it makes schools feel like a prison. That's um, not what we're into. I don't like that philosophy. Um, I think if you walk through our schools, you don't get that impression at all, but we've done a lot of things. Um, And I'm very, very cautious uh, because the Secret Service has taught me to be mindful of perception. Um, And so one of the things that that I noticed, let's just say Texas City High School, you come in, there's a little pony wall that's four foot. It doesn't prevent anybody from jumping the wall uh, or uh, discharging a firearm without any protection, right? There's no, there was no restraints for people as they came in and out of that building. You walk in, you could have been right there with the general population of the students within a matter of seconds. We're trying to slow down and we're trying to minimize risk. You'll never hear me say that I can stop anything And I think that's the difference. The first time you hear someone saying, we are absolutely going to stop everything that comes through, you probably should not listen to that person. We are minimizing risk. That's what we do. So Texas City High School and every campus we have, we did a full-scale infrastructure assessment of that campus. How How do we stop people from getting to our general population of students from off the street? And that goes into another conversation that I would like to get to is um, even though, you know, we've spent, we had a $6.5 million bond. And you asked about how districts that, let's say, for example, like Hitchcock that maybe don't have the funding, what can they do to be proactive? I think there's this misconception that I'm a firm believer in strictly infrastructure security being the solution because we've spent that money. That's not it at all. I've said since day one that um, though we have done a very good job of putting together a very robust, technologically advanced system of access control, facial recognition, appearance search on our cameras, um, you know, building vestibules, reinforced glass, all those things, that solely is not the answer, and I tell you, We wanna talk about lowering the amount of arrests in schools, we wanna talk about lowering the amount of risks in schools. We have to start focusing on the proactive uh, benefits of the medical sciences. Risk assessment is the key, and that is exactly Does that go directly to mental health? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I mean, not every school shooter has a mental health problem. You know, and I think you know, if you look at the National Threat Assessment Center, uh, you know, I read their stuff all the time. You know, some guys read books. I read research on behaviors. And if you look at the National Threat Assessment Center, I tell you, I was shocked to hear that some of our own legislators, well, everybody, all of our legislators had never even heard of the National Threat Assessment Center through the Secret Service, they were formed after night, you know, after the Columbine shooting in '99, and after every mass event, they conduct research on that event and then provide guidance. And so, what I'm getting at is, yes, the infrastructure is important, um, but for districts that can't afford it, they can absolutely be just as effective as we are with identification of a problem. Once you identify it, intervening. And then having serious and real solutions on the back end. So when you talk about mental health, you know, for example, I'm, I'm very disappointed right now. We had a split vote on Tuesday. Um, I presented to our board a um, I presented to our board a position called a, 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 a uh, behavioral mental health and social wellness uh, manager, and that would be a licensed uh, Psychological counselor that would work directly with me. We would take data that we already have from our students. Th- what districts don't understand is they have the solutions already.
0: Are you talking mm. about monitoring social media, that kind of thing?
2: Well, or? we do monitor social media, but I'm talking about taking data from students, comparing that to the Virginia model and the National Threat Assessments research that they've conducted over 20 years. In every one of these cases, there's always a pattern or an escalation of behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about 2017, the publication from the James, James Hodgkinson shooting, right? And the congressional softball game shooter. Remember mm-hmm. him? Actually, I knew one of the guys that got shot that day. Uh, one of the uh,
0: I'll tell officers. you about it after the show. Okay. No, not, not the officers, one of the guys. Oh, the, the politician.
2: Yeah. No, the, there was somebody else that was shot. Okay, well, so here's the thing: if you that is the classic case of someone should have intervened, but they did not, right? Okay, if you look back into Hodgkinson's uh, history, you can see that he had issues with uh, authority. He had issues with uh, being able to control himself, even in you know as he got into his adulthood with his his marriage, with his family, with his employer, he had emotional outbursts, with his neighbors he had conflict, those are all signs, symptoms of someone that's on what we would call in the field, the path to violence. The question is how do we intervene, all right? What I'm saying is, and and I have to be really careful because I don't wanna be, you know, I don't wanna be uh, accused of profiling anybody it's not profiling anybody if the data already exists, and if it's done by a medical professional. I'm not talking about Mike Matranga doing it, I'm talking about medical professionals compiling data that's already there within our student database, building that out to, to identify children that are at risk. I but, don't.
1: but one of the things I just pushed back, when I was uh, in, in college I wrote a, I wrote a paper on uh, young boys, African American boys specifically, that in early uh, elementary grade, second or third grade, mm-hmm. they get labeled uh, aggressive uh, and and one put in slower tracks um, also uh, through through these uh, studies mm-hmm. the teachers feel justified in um, removing these children out of the classroom because they feel threatened, whereas um, someone like uh, Uh, she's retired now, Miss Miss Diane Merchant, that was over at Mainland Preparatory Academy. I felt like when I gave my children, all four of them went through her charter school, that she was gonna love them and she was gonna work with them no matter what. And not only my children, other children. And and what I'm getting at is that there are some uh, teachers that are able to handle those children better because I heard an experienced teacher that had been 35, 40 years say that when you put a kid out of the classroom, uh, that child can't learn, and they get further and further behind, and sometimes it takes a teacher to just be a little more forceful with the children. So when I used to go over to Mainland Prep, that were probably some classroom incidents where, where teachers reminded me of my mother and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. and like boy you are gonna learn today they will be talking to kids and but society doesn't allow that anymore mm-hmm. and I know you've talked about this before uh, uh we've had some conversations about discipline and um and the kids not having that structure right like like, like I'm'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm big on the discipline but I think what happens is people fear that these metrics that you measure children by will not be enforced Equally, and then some kids will be um, profiled, or some right. kids will be uh, uh, labeled uh, early and uh, maybe falsely when all they needed
2: was a little more attention. Uh, yeah, no, I, I certainly understand what you're saying, and I, I, I do agree with you. I, I think that. Um, <laughs> You know, there's a lot of people who love me or hate me, but uh, I definitely think that one of the most extinct words uh, that we use these days or, or things that we use is accountability and, um, you know, respect and discipline. And I think that public education has gotten so far from being able to do the things that you said that reminded you of your grandmother or your mother. Um, for fear of it seemed like it was just yeah. women. Well for yeah, fear yeah. of a lawsuit, <laughs> yeah. you know, that um, you know teachers truly need the support of their administrators. And, you know, I've said multiple times to our administrators, to our legal counsel, at what point do we start fighting back for the good of our community and for the good of our students against those that put these laws in place that protect a very my, small uh you know minority of students and and we can get into that later but you know the bottom line is we've had a severe degradation of society of morals values ethics and you know we we do you know, I just call it like it is. I'm a very direct speaker. Sometimes that is a that is good for me, and sometimes it's it's bad for me, because I I everything that I do, I always try to take into consideration the good of the group. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't nurture those that have strayed, um, and I don't see uh, I don't see in anything that I do or anything that our district does that would be discriminatory in nature, we handle students based upon behavior exhibited. I do agree with you 100% that I think that we need to work on practicing a little bit more patience, that our first uh, you know, response should not be to remove a child from a classroom or send them to an alternative school my point is with this position that i've proposed that we've had three of our board members um, vote against is that is exactly what i'm trying to do with this program is i have proposed to our legislators last week when i testified at the senate and i proposed to our board members that when we talk about counselors okay school counselors people don't understand that they're not you know and there's some that are and i'm not knocking them they're overwhelmed, they're overworked, and to be quite honest with you, the problems that we are sending to them to the counselors that we currently have, they're not equipped to handle. Some of I them aren't even certified. Of the,
1: the school counselors more like... Um, academic. A, a academic, they're that's making right. sure you're on track with your, uh, your classes to graduate and things but like
0: that. But now, as a parent, uh, Sam, that's the way I thought of them, but now as a parent, after Parkland, after Santa Fe, I'm looking to these guys to say you are the first line of defense in making Absolutely. sure my kid doesn't get shot. And the school you know, counselor, yeah, the school mm-hmm. counselor, you know, and the teachers. In other yeah. words, if they if they if they think a kid is uh, on the path, you That's know, right. to use Mike to, to use Mike's terminology, you know, they're the first eyeballs on that. Chances are the kid's on the path because the parents aren't seeing it, right, and, and are not responding to
1: it. Join us for part two of this interview When we come
2: back